it's always been compared like you have friends where you can just be together. You don't have to say anything necessarily. You can just be together. And that's definitely an experience I've had with the Eucharist. And I think that used to be really frustrating for me. It was like, you know, I was kind of used to these mountaintop experiences like in the Bronx and like at the church camp. But the more I've grown, the more I've realized God is, he's, he's kind of a, once you mature, it's less about mountaintop experiences. It's less about these highs. It's kind of a steady, like a slow burn, like you said. So I'm getting a lot more comfortable with just the reality that we can just sit together. Hey, y'all. Welcome back to Native Soil. It's season two, series two, episode three, as we talk to young adults from around the Archdiocese about the year of the Eucharist, the year of the parish, and the year of St. Joseph. We are blessed to welcome to the cast today, Sarah Hirschfeldt-Schmidt. Thank you. Welcome to Native Soil. Thank you, Father. It's great to have you. So good to see you. Thanks for having me. So I've known you for a while. And that's been a blessing. But tell everybody a little bit about yourself. Just who you, who are you? Where are you from? Yeah. So I'm from Spanish Fort, born and raised. Um, I went to college at Auburn, and then I went off to Kentucky for a little bit and found myself back in Auburn. And to my surprise, I ended up back here. So I live in Fairhope now, um, but that was not the plan. I actually moved back because my now husband got a teaching job. And so we just – he's from Iowa, so that was very – strange and random and I knew it was definitely the hand of the Lord. So mm-hmm. my parents were very pleased whenever I moved back and it's been yeah, it's been a joy. Now when you left Spanish Fort where you're like, I'm out of here. I'm I'm gonna go like live somewhere but not here. I think I just I thought something particular would have to draw me back. And I love my family. I'm very, very, very close to my family. Right. And everyone had said, you know, when you get married and when you start having kids, you're really going to be close to family. Um, but that hadn't happened yet. And so right. I just thought, I mean, there's really nothing that's drawing me back other than, you know, that I love them. They're some of my best friends. Um, but it was, it was a very obvious call. Right. So obvious. I don't even know if, if Todd should have gotten the job, you know? Right. We're glad he did. Yeah. He's teaching at St. Michael's. He is. Yes. Shout out to Todd Schmidt and all of his students. Um, <laughs> it's an awesome school. So, just to make some connections, we interviewed Edward Coles from St. Michael's okay, in a previous episode. Yep. So little connection there. Yep. He, he did a little shout out to Todd, your husband. Okay. And we also had your nephew, Jude, on the cast yes. not too long ago. Yes. So on that, give us the breakdown, who your parents, siblings, nieces, nephews. Okay. So I'm one of four technically, but I, I kind of really grew up with just my brother. My dad was married um, before he met my mom to Linda and it's like a beautiful redemptive picture of divorce. I know that sounds weird, but, um, I just think we're really lucky. Like I just saw Linda the other day. Um, she was at my wedding. So, um, my mom and dad and my dad's oldest, Christy and Trey. Nope. She's married to Trey. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) That'd be weird. Christy and Mark. And then there's Michael and me. So technically, there's the four of us. And then um, Christy's got four boys. So Jude is the oldest. Right. So those would be your four nephews. Yes. Awesome. Yep. Very cool. So grew up here in Spanish Fort, uh, went to Christ the King. 
No. Or, oh, for church? Yeah. Yeah. Well, we went to Christ the King, and then we also spent some time um, at St. John's, Little Mission Parish, John 225. In Bromley. Yep. So that's right by our house. So okay. that's where, um, I think that was probably the closest thing I had to like a church family, just because it was so familial. Everyone, they knew when you weren't there. Right. So. Like, hey, I haven't seen you in a while. Yeah, exactly. It 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 was awesome. Yeah. Cool. Well, we're, we're diving into, you know, the there's a lot of titles been given to this year, Eucharist, Parish, St. Joseph. So I'd love to just kind of hear about your experience with those things. But let's start with the Eucharist. Talk to me about your relationship with the Eucharist growing up. What was that like? Yeah, so growing up, it was pretty non-existent. Um, it was actually, I think it was when I was like 15, 14 or 15, a Protestant told me what Catholics believed about the Eucharist. And he said, I was at some kind of party with, and they were adults, and um, I was with my best friend. And this this dad said, yeah, you know, you're supposed to believe that it's the body and blood of Jesus, like literally. And I was like, I, I don't believe that. So <laughs> nobody gave me that memo. <laughs> literally, and it's like I, I went to CCD my whole life. Like I'm sure they told me, but it would it just went in one ear and out the other. So I remember even coming out of it. Was, I was coming out of St. Lawrence because we church hopped a little bit, and I asked my parents. I said, "Do y'all really believe it's literally Jesus? Like literally?" And they both said, "Yeah." And I was like, "Well, I don't believe that." And so this is crazy talk, right? It was just like, well, I don't believe that. Right. I also didn't realize that if I didn't believe it, I probably should not receive. I mean, no one told me that either, which I don't know, maybe that was a gift that I was continuing to receive the graces. Um, and it was just, yeah, it was just disbelief and, and a lack of education. So anyway, um, little did I know it would be, kind of a, a reconversion back to the church through the Eucharist. So years later, it was my freshman year of college at Auburn. I went, ended up in the Bronx um, with the Franciscan Friars, just volunteering. And I, I was looking for places to volunteer over Christmas break, and I was not at all looking at Catholic places because that just wasn't, even though I grew up Catholic, that wasn't how I saw God. I thought God was Protestant, to be honest. I just, that was just how I saw the Lord because I really encountered him as a, as a real person who wanted a relationship with me outside of the Catholic church. So I get to college and that's still kind of how I see him. Where was that? Where was that happening? So that was at actually Spanish Fort United Methodist. So I got involved with, um, this youth group and it was just, I mean, like authentic joy and friendship for the first time. And, and I really saw people live out the gospel. Like that was, that was where I encountered, Jesus through the physically poor. We would go to Mobile and just hang out and be in Bull Square. And um, yeah, there was just something that I had never experienced um, in that youth group. And it it just, it captivated me. And so that was, I went to a church camp classic uh, one summer, the summer before my senior year of high school. And there was just a moment where the youth pastor, um, I don't even remember what he said, but all of a sudden the gospel made sense to me. Like, Mm. oh, God is real and he wants a relationship with me. That just hadn't sunk in before. And I always had a relationship with the Lord. Like my my mom would, you know, we'd say bedtime prayers and my parents taught me just so much virtue. And um, so I had a great foundation, but I I wasn't really educated. Um, but at the same time, I, I'm kind of, gl- I'm so thankful for that journey because 
if, if I hadn't have had that freedom to kind of explore in high school, I don't think I'd be here today because it was through that exploration that I really encountered the gospel. Where'd you go to high school? Spanish Fort. And before that, were you in Spanish Fort like yep. all the way up? All the way. Okay. Spanish yep. Fort all the way up. And so this youth group was really a gift to you. Yes. And that's neat. We had a we had a series in season one just about Protestants and, and like the blessings that we can yeah. bring into each other's lives yep. and kind of deepen and re- kind of mutually enrich each other. So that's a, that's an awesome testimony to that. Mm-hmm. But in this youth group, this camp, this youth pastor, something's awakened in you. You know, you have this kind of personal, like God is there, but he's there like for me. Yeah, it was like a fire. And um, so you go to Auburn, you have this fire burning. And I remember sitting, I remember meeting you. I was, when I was just ordained a priest, I was sent to Auburn. And I remember um, one of the other girls who was very involved in the student, um, the Catholic Student Association, Kathleen, shout out to Kathleen, wherever you are. Um, I remember her asking me to come have coffee with you and her because you were searching and you just needed somebody to kind of talk to. Hmm. So um, kind of take us to that moment, kind of to that chapter of your life and talk to us about this conversion, yeah. kind of reconversion to the Eucharist and like your Catholic faith. Okay. So a little bit before that, that would have been my sophomore year. Okay. So a little before that, I ended up in the Bronx surrounded by the most Catholic things I had ever seen in my whole life. Like I didn't realize that there were friars. I didn't know that was real. And, but yeah, I'm surrounded by the most amazing men I've ever met in my whole life. And and these men who they're serving, who are incredible. And I'm, I'm so perplexed because it's like, wait, but they're Catholic. Like, I don't, I don't get it. Why, how come they're loving the Lord, like I've never seen before in just like an even deeper way than I'd seen before. And, um, they'd given their whole lives to the Lord and to these, these strangers, you know? So I was really perplexed, very perplexed, but we had, um, Eucharistic adoration, which I didn't even know what that was. Um, someone, a volunteer told me this is what it is. And it was leading up to midnight mass. So I said, well, I like to pray. I don't believe that that's exactly what that is, but I do like to pray. So I went And I remember I was looking at the monstrance and all of a sudden it was like zoned in. I'm crying, like snot everywhere, disgusting. And I just think, okay, I don't know what this is, but this is where I'm supposed to be. And the next day I went to confession because I knew that was, you know, the the step that I needed to take to, to come back into communion with the church. I received the Eucharist the first time actually believing it was the body and blood of Jesus. Um, and I, I, I couldn't fathom it, but I, I had this, the grace of trust in the church and I'd never had that before. And that's truly a grace. I, I can't attribute it to anything else other than the, the people who I encountered there. Um, so I, I come back to Auburn and I get plugged in by my sophomore year, I get plugged into the Catholic student association and I didn't really know anyone. I just kind of kept going because I felt like I, I just kept being drawn. I kept being drawn. But at the same time, I was I was being pulled away um, just through people who, with good intentions, were like, I don't know if you should be doing this. You know, <laughs> This might not be good for you. Right, right. I think you're going down a really dark path. <laughs> Maybe the Catholics in the Bronx are okay, right, but, but the ones these, down here. Right, right, right. So, but I kept being so drawn. Well, I don't, I don't even remember. I, I remember the, this coffee experience that you're talking about, but I don't remember what led me up. I guess I was conversing with Kathleen and, and wrestling. And the thing is, it, it was a wrestle. I knew where I was being drawn, 
but I like couldn't fathom. It was like, but are you sure God? And it, it probably took me a couple years of sitting in front of the Eucharist every week, maybe more reading John six and just repeating to myself, this can't be true. Like this just can't be true. It, it just took time and exposure. And, and finally I started to believe but leading up, I had the grace of trust in the church where I was like, I don't get it. You know, I'd, I'd walk up to communion being like, I don't, I don't know what this is, but I trust you. Um, and then there was a, a turning point. And I'm sure it was through conversations like what we had where there were, you know, these captivating, intelligent people who are defending the teachings of the church. And it's kind of like, okay, well, this does make a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. And um, so it's kind of the slow bake. Like, yes. obviously, you have this profound experience up in the Bronx. But probably it seems surreal, like the Bronx, you know, it's a long way away, but then integrating that experience to your day-to-day at Auburn, um, I would imagine you probably, were you involved in different Protestant ministries, like Methodist ministries at Auburn? Yeah. So I I tried different ones when I first went to uh, freshman year. They call it church shopping. It's like a very big thing. Right. Um, And I got really plugged into, it was actually a Baptist church, uh, First Baptist Opelika, and it I mean, just the people there were striving after the Lord so much that it, it reminded me a lot of the experience I had in high school. And they just surrounded me and formed me and inspired me and encouraged me. And so that was that was such a gift, such a gift. So the Lord's like integrating these things, like you're having these powerful experiences with the Methodists, with the Baptists, but then somehow the Lord brings you to these friars in, in the Bronx and kind of helps you to do- rediscover these like deeper layers of Catholicism and Eucharist. It's like kind of weaving these things together. Um, What would you say the Eucharist means to you today? I think um, I'm still very perplexed. I mean, I don't know that there's ever going to be a point where I look at the Eucharist and I'm like, yeah, I get it totally. Cause it doesn't make any sense. Like it's crazy. It's crazy. It's crazy that, that God would allow me to hold him and then consume him. Like after I receive the Eucharist, I oftentimes look at my hand and I, I've, I'm like, there, it's got to be a burning hole. Like it, God just touched me like this. How is my hand not burning off? Right. And um, it, it, it's like, it's crazy. Um, so I guess to me, the Eucharist, it's just a testament to how small God is willing to get to to love me and touch me and just let me sit with him. Um, and you know, I don't always, yeah, it's, it's rare if I'm hearing God speak, you know, when I'm sitting there, but it's kind of like just sitting in his presence. Um, just like we would a friend, you know, it's, it's always been compared. Like you have friends where you can just be together. You don't have to say anything necessarily. You can just be together. And that's definitely an experience I've had with the Eucharist. And I think that used to be really frustrating for me. It was like, you know, I was kind of used to these mountaintop experiences like in the Bronx and like at the church camp. But the more I've grown, the more I've realized God is, he's, he's kind of a, once you mature, it's less about mountaintop experiences. It's less about these highs. It's kind of a steady, like a slow burn, like you said. So I'm getting a lot more comfortable with just the reality that we can just sit together. Right. Even if I don't believe it, even if I'm so perplexed, like that's the mystery of God. It's kind of the St. Augustine, like, I believe, but help my unbelief. Yes. Kind of that tension of, I believe you, Lord, but this is beyond me. Yeah. Like, this is just, um, what would you say? Maybe you've already answered it, but what would you say 
um, you know, you had a lot of different faith experiences and it's mm-hmm. all part of kind of how you know God and how you relate to God. But what difference would you say the Eucharist has made since you've come to that belief, since you've kind of had that sense of, I can go and sit with him and be with him. Yeah. What would you say, what difference has it made in your relationship with Christ to have him regularly, you know, with you in the Eucharist? Yeah, that that's an interesting question because I know that it's possible to love the Lord deeply without the Eucharist. Um, I experienced that in my life. But there has to be a difference, right? Like, I I don't think this is a teaching that you just like, ah, take or leave. You know, um, I actually had a friend, the last person in the world I would think who would be thinking about converting to Catholicism. Um, She's talking to me. And at one point she says, um, this was on the phone not that long ago, she says, she has this pull to Catholicism. She doesn't understand it, but she said, um, you know, it, it's probably anywhere I went, it would, it, it would be the same. And I said, well, I think what you'll find if you dive in deeper is that it isn't the same. And that's why people convert, but you've got to discover that on your own. Um, so I guess for me, there's just this greater intimacy and tangibility. It's, it's, I mean, like I said, God lets us hold him. Like, that's insane. So, I mean, I don't I don't even know. I feel like someone on the outside would have to tell you right. how it's changed me. Maybe we should ask Todd. Right. Well, he, but he didn't know me. <laughs> he didn't know when you. Yeah, we have to ask your parents or your... Uh, my youth your, pastor. Your youth pastor. Yeah, right. Paul. Right. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. I think... One thing you're saying that kind of resonated with me is you're talking about there's the highs and lows of faith. And I think that a lot of times in our conversion experiences, we have that high. The Lord kind of, he knows what we need. He's got to like get our attention. We kind of need something to really kind of get the devotion going. But like you're saying, he's so hidden Mm -hmm. in the Eucharist. He's so quiet, you know, but to, to be able to consume him, but it's like that food for the journey, but there's a certain, you're talking about, you know, you have the high, but then you kind of, there's a certain groundedness yep. that happens in your faith journey. There's a certain ability to kind of just be with the Lord in the mundane, mm-hmm. be with the Lord, not just be with the Lord, but like let him be with you mm-hmm. and live like through you and mm-hmm. with you and in you. Um, but that resonated with me when you're talking about, you know, you had that high, he got your attention, but kind of this, maybe part of that Eucharistic journey is kind of it's food for the journey that kind of allows you to bring him into all those yep. non-mountaintop. You yep. know, between the mountaintop and the valley, there's a lot of space in between. Right. Even like the source and summit, talk about the Eucharist as a source and summit, which it is. Like it, everything flows from Christ and leads to Christ. There's a lot of space in between. There's like a lot of stuff we do every day that's like, that needs to be like fueled by him. And, and he's present there. Right. Yeah, it's easy to think, well, he's just at this conference or he's just at this whatever mountaintop experience. But I, I think maybe one one thing that the Eucharist has taught me is, yeah, he's in the mundane. Like any any little act can be a holy offering to him. Awesome. Um, let's talk about parish. Let's get to the next the next thing. Parish. What was your? I mean, you you've touched on this some, but kind of what was your experience of parish life growing up? Yeah, I remember we were we were kind of involved at Christ the King. Like my mom taught CCD. Right. Um, my grandmother was really well known there. She was just kind of this staple. Um, she taught Spanish for like a million years at Christ the King, and then she sang <laughs> in the choir. And 
Um, so we were connected and that was a community that my dad grew up in. Right. But I, I don't know if I felt like I had a parish home. Like I, I went to college and a lot of people talked about, oh, this is my church home. And I, I don't feel like I had that, even though I had the experience at St. John's where it did feel very familial, but we really, there was no involvement outside of just going to mass and, right. you know, chatting out, you know, afterwards. So then when I went to college, I would say I got really plugged into the parish, but it was all through the lens of the college community. Right. And of course I was meeting some of the families, but it, the, the big emphasis was this college community. Well, then I joined Focus and I, yeah, I got in got plugged into the parish, but it was through the lens of the college community. I mean, that, the, that was my apostolate, the right. college students. And, um, you know, I knew the staff at the church. I knew some of the parishioners, but it was mainly my focus was the college students. And then I moved back to Auburn and I'm surrounded by amazing college students again. So I just found myself, you know, that being kind of my apostolate again. Right. So then moving back here, I remember, Todd, he thinks it's really important to get plugged into your local parish. And I'm thinking like, well, I, I want to go to Little Flower or I want to, I want to do something different. You know, um, I don't want to go to, to just any, any parish, you know, I want to feel very compelled. And, but I, I just kept feeling like, I don't know, almost out of not like obedience or submission, but as I just kept sort of trusting in Todd, like, okay. Uh, we'll keep we'll keep doing this and and I've recently had this kind of revelation that it's time for me to really get plugged into the parish and I don't know exactly what that means because it was so clear to me before it was the college students but I'm in this weird place right now where I'm I'm married I just got married I don't have kids yet um I feel like I relate to the young adults maybe who yeah who don't have kids but I feel like there's this, I, I look around, I, I go to St. Lawrence and I see young people. Sometimes they're there by themselves and I'm thinking like, who are you? I just want to collect everybody. Right. It's all getting the same space. Exactly. And- but I, I, so I'm asking that question, like what, what is the, what's my gifting that I'm supposed to use for this parish? Because I'm being fed very much, but it's time for me to, to give, you know, no, I appreciate how honest you are with that because I I found in all of my time being a priest, being a young adult is a real challenge. And I think uh, me, other priests, different people of the parishes, have, you kind of rack your brain like, how can we reach out to these people and make them feel welcome and kind of plug them in? Because a lot of times people are coming to a place where maybe for the first time mm-hmm. or like you, you're coming there, you're coming back home. Yep. But the parish, we've talked about this on native soil, but you know, it, it's a place you know, like there's a church and there's a place, there's like a geographical boundary, but that's kind of the challenge. Like even in these episodes is kind of get people to think like, how does God want to use us to renew, Mm. you know, our native soil? But, Mm. but, but to start like, it's easy to overlook, like you said, what, maybe I'll go to this parish across the bay or maybe, and all parishes have needs, but I think that's a challenge today of kind of what's God want me to do? Like, Mm in my own backyard. Mm-hmm. Like there's some reason, like you said, you felt there's like some kind of call that brought you back. Yeah. But what is that call? And, um, that'll be interesting. I'll be excited to see like with you and Todd, just how the Lord continues that call of using you as his instruments. And two, I mean, just the way the landscape of parishes, obviously like collaborating with each other and right. not just being like totally insular, um, 
it's a it's a complex reality, but finding your place as a newly married young adult is a bit of a challenge. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I definitely. And I think it just takes conversations. And um, I was just talking to my spiritual director yesterday and asking, like, how did you decide what your involvement in the parish would be? Um, and she said, do you mean now or when I was younger? And I was like, well, I guess it's different in different seasons. Um, I think a lot of churches are designed where they, they kind of have it seems from the outside that they have community for kids and families and then older people. But then there's this like gap with young adults, right? whether they're single or newly married or maybe, you know, freshly having children. Like, um, and I've just had that as I was talking to my spiritual director, I, I said, I've got to really figure out what the point of, a parish is what I think the point of parish is because I can't, I can't fill a need if I don't know what the end goal is. Um, but I, I think some of it has to do with creating that family, like the gift of walking out of mass and getting to chat with people right afterwards. Like it's so small, but it means so much. You leave so filled up and you recognize I'm not alone. And it's it's clear you're not alone. You go to mass and there's hundreds of people around you, but to not know them, it can feel isolating. And so I, I, I know a part of it is to create family within this, this sphere so that we can also then go out and serve. You know what I was at Christ the King? We had started this in Auburn, but kind of used the model and brought it to the Eastern shore. And I believe they're still doing it, but we tried to create these like small groups because one thing we realize with young adults is like, okay, if you're single, that you're like in a state. If you're newly married, you're in a state. You're if you're newly if you're married, you're like have like one kid. You're like in a totally different world. Mm-hmm. You're if you're married, you have like two or three kids. It's like a totally different world. So part of it was just like creating some structure for people in those states could be together and yeah. kind of share. Okay, how is the Eucharist gonna like inform mm-hmm. and fuel like this part of my life? Mm-hmm. But um. But yeah, I think it's definitely something to pray about and to see. That's talking to students. One of the big definitions of vocation I've, I've challenged people to think about is like where where like your greatest gifts and the world's greatest needs. Like where does that intersect? Yeah. But um, but yeah, obviously the Lord's gifted you in a lot of different ways. But to, but to not be afraid to say kind of these are my particular gifts. Just how can I put them at the the service of these people and this place? You know? Yeah, and it it's it's kind of scary to embark on because it's going to require sacrifice. You know, I feel like my, my life is so full already with the various things that, that we have going on. It's easy to think like, well, I can't give more, but I, I don't know. I just, I feel a prompting and it doesn't have to be, it doesn't have to be big. Um, I just, I feel a prompting to kind of dive in like, Lord, what, yeah, how do you want me to give? Because I'm, I'm taking a lot. Right. So how do you want me to give? Well, I'll be excited to see how the fruit of that prayer, to see how that all unfolds. Yeah. Um, let's move on to St. Joseph. Okay. And maybe we'll start just with the fact you just married a guy named Todd. I did. Tell us about Todd. Why did you marry this Midwesterner um, and, uh, you know, settle, settle together back here in Fairhope? Yeah. Um, if anybody knows us, they would say we're very different from one another. I think on, on the outside, 
you know, everybody knows this about me. My, my dream guy would have been, you know, this artist, musician, tattoo, mountain man. Actually, I dated that person (laughs) and I still care for him deeply. He's an amazing human being, but it, it, those things weren't enough. And I think Todd had a similar experience as well. Um, dating kind of the ideal girl for him, but it, it wasn't enough. Something was missing. And so it's funny how the Lord, I mean, I, I think I think sometimes he fulfills our desires the way that we foresee them. But I think sometimes he doesn't. And and I think it's it's a part of the journey of of trusting and and just continuing to say like, okay, this is a mystery to me, right. Lord. Like, why did you bring us together? <laughs> but I mean, number one, it felt like an invitation from the Lord continually. That I mean, that's ultimately why. I married Todd. It just, I felt like I was continually being invited into deeper love through this relationship. Um, what about him? Do you, so he wasn't this bohemian kind of uh, dream guy you were thinking of, but what what about him do you really admire? Like what mm, about him as a man did you yeah. really come to respect and yeah. fall in love with? I love how he loves people. Um, just his his comfort around a crowd. Um how one of the biggest things I love about him is his love for his family and my family. That was huge. That was not not something that I even realized I wanted to that extent. I mean, sometimes I think that he and my mom like have some kind of crush because they <laughs> just love each other. They just and he loves my dad and I love his family. And that's just something I didn't I didn't realize was a huge desire, but just this he has a spirit of hospitality. I think that that is the the perfect word for him. He has a spirit of hospitality. He wants to invite people into a story and he wants to treat people and love people. And that, that's something that I find myself desiring as well. So it, that is a way I think that we are so similar. Um, and kind of, we, you know, I think we have different charisms, but I, but I think that that spirit of hospitality is a desire we both have, and it's something we want to live out in our, in our lives. And so together we can do that better. Awesome. Yeah. Kind of join forces to bring people and make them feel welcome and put them at home. And who would you say, and obviously Todd's allowed to be part of this too, but who are some of the men that God has put in your life that have really told you or taught you what it is to be like a good man, Mm. a good husband, a good father? St. Joseph, you know, is like kind of the paradigm, but let's just start with like, who are some men the Lord's put in your life that have really kind of opened your eyes to kind of what a good man is. Yeah. I mean, the first two people I think of are my dad and Todd and, and they're actually very similar. So it kind of makes sense. Um, the biggest thing that I saw in my parents marriage that I was so captivated by was their friendship. Like they just genuinely enjoy each other's company. And my dad, through the years as he's grown and matured and and encountered the Lord deeper, he he's become um, kind of a gentle spirit, and um, he's a listener. He's an affirmer. I remember before I started dating Todd, feeling like, Lord, are you gonna fulfill this desire for me to to like know of my belovedness through a man like my dad taught me, or are you gonna? have me just try to find it in you because what I have on this earth won't satisfy. And while what I have on this earth won't satisfy completely, he, through Todd, he said, no, I want to give you that kind of tangible 
I want, I want my voice to be spoken. Um, so I think, I think a good man, I don't want to, I don't want to paint a picture that it's just personality types cause it's not, but I think, um, what I see in, in my dad and in Todd, there's a desire to grow. That's what I think it means to be a good man. I think it's continual humility that says there's so much more to learn. And I think for men, sometimes they're, they're, Generally speaking, their vice might be pride. I mean, all everything's pride, you know, but. Um, Try to do it on your own. You've got to have all the answers. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And so I think for a man to kind of overcome that, even if it's a struggle, that's so captivating and that's um, that's so inspiring. And I think that that desire to be better, that is what leaves room for the Lord to work, I think. And so it's like, yeah, you want to marry someone who you're not wanting to change. Of course, when you say I do, you're you're saying I do to who you are today. If you were not different at all forever, I'd marry who you are. But at the same time, um, I think it, it's a huge testament um, when somebody has a characteristic of of continual a continual learner and someone who can apologize and um, say, you know, I was I was wrong there. Um, Todd does that really, really well. He'll be the first one to say he's sorry. And I admire that so much. So yeah, I think, I think overall a good man is someone who recognizes there's so much more to learn and, and they're willing to learn it. Yeah. There's kind of like a firmness. It's like firmly kind of rigidly flexible. Mm -hmm. You know, you're kind of like firmly willing to learn. You're like firmly open to that growth process Mm -hmm. and and, and in order to grow, you have to be able to make mistakes and listen and say you're sorry. And mm-hmm. um, so all you guys listening, you need to be ready, willing and ready to grow. Also, the thing that struck me is, you know, they say a lot of times, you know, guys will marry someone like their mom. Right. Or girls will marry someone like their right. dad, for better or worse. Right. But I think that is something, you know, um, you know, guys, you know, dads, you want your daughter to marry like a good guy. You got to be that guy. Yep. You got to model that because... That was cool. You were saying like you would experience that goodness in your dad and you're kind of wondering like, could I possibly find this template in like another person? Right. And the Lord, you know, brought Todd and, but you're able to recognize it because you already knew it. Yeah. You know, in some way. Yes. Um, so I think that's a cool part of your, the fact that those are the two people you immediately said, Yeah. I think it was pretty cool. Um, or maybe last thought. So St. Joseph He's in the scriptures, like four chapters, right at the beginning of Matthew and Luke. Is there a particular scene or passage that stands out to you as kind of striking as far as kind of what we're talking about, like him him showing us like yeah. this man willing to grow and be firm? And- yeah. Um, the thing that stands out to me the most ab- about what we know from St. Joseph in scripture, I think, is what isn't said in the sense that, okay, so we have this narrative that says an angel woke him up in a dream or in a dream appeared to him and says, you know, the truth about Mary. So he knows not to divorce her, to trust that this child was conceived by the Holy Spirit. So he wakes up and he, um, what's the next thing they do? Uh, Takes her to, takes her to Bethlehem. Okay, so what we see is, Okay, he he has an angel come to him, which I'm reading, and I'm like, could an angel come to me and uh-huh. say that so clearly? Um, and then he and then he wakes up and he acts. So I see there's great 
virtue that's to be followed in listening and in, in trust and in acting. But scripture leaves out so many of the details of what that exactly looked like. Right. And I think that's what I was very fooled by the thought that I'm supposed to mimic this exact thing. Um, you know, when talking about the saints, well, we don't actually know, you know, we, we think about what we know about St. Joseph. We don't know that much. And I don't, I think that may be on purpose. I, I think we need examples of virtue, but the ins and outs of what that the fulfillment of that looks like, I think that's up to us and God. And, and I'm just now kind of coming to this place of, of security in that, of saying, I don't have to look just like this person. No. The virtue is what I should imitate. And I think Joseph did it so well. He was listening to where you could hear the angel come to him. He was able to trust, even though I'm sure he didn't understand, like, okay, I know that this is true, but I, I got to keep walking in trust. And then right. he did it. He he followed. He was obedient. But But there's so many things in between. I mean, what was the conversation in his head? Did he go to his friend and say, listen, what just happened? Right. You know, like that's the stuff that I feel like we oftentimes are insecure about. Like, oh, I don't, I don't love the Lord enough because I'm not just waking up and acting like Joseph did. Well, he didn't just wake up and act. I mean, he went to the bathroom. He maybe ate breakfast. He probably went down. <laughs> Tunic on. Right, exactly. He may have visited with a friend and said, do you know what just happened to me last night? Like that, that's what I think is worth thinking about. Um, because we know what virtue is that's right. that's clearly laid out but what about those that in between um the way you live out that virtue i think that's between you and the lord what a great point you know i think a lot of times spiritual you know when we start off in the spiritual life we try to kind of make ourselves carbon copies of the saints you know but uh this one reflection is like the last thing we need is another saint mother teresa the last thing we need is another saint teresa of alva what we need is saint Sarah Hirschfeld Schmidt. Yes. Like that's what the world needs, yeah. you know, but it's so individual. I mean, there's this, co there's a commonality, but an image as you were talking is when you let the Eucharist plant itself in the soil of your heart, it's going to grow there in a way it's never grown anywhere else before, mm. you know, and to be open to like the, the uniqueness and the, the individuality of like that growth. And, um, and I think that's, uh, that's just such a great point. There's going to obviously be a commonality in the Holy Spirit and the lives of the saints, but maybe even there's a purposefulness in Joseph's. There's, we only have so many details. So some as we, you know, we can't help but listen and kind of work through those details, the mundaneness of our mm -hmm. own responses, you know, through listening mm -hmm. and walking. And so that's a, that's a cool insight. Um, which I think is a great segue to uh, soil in general. Soil. And we could talk about a lot more things, but uh, did you bring some soil for us? I did. I brought a lot of soil. Okay, let's let's, let's see what you brought. I think I think you're all gonna be impressed. Oh. Don't drop it. Oh. <laughs> okay, we gotta. This is the first time somebody has brought a full shoebox of soil. Shout out to one of Todd's students because it's their box. It's their box that they decorated. Okay. okay there's a lot of different soils that we're gonna put in this jar. Um, take us through what we have. Okay. I'm going to see if I can kind of let people see the diversity here. So, right, so, so tell us some and then take, and then put okay. a little bit in okay. and then, okay. 
I want to start from the beginning, but I don't know if, well, yeah, I can. Okay. This is the beginning. This is my parents from my parents' house. Awesome. Um, in Spanish Fort? In Spanish Fort. Yep. Born and raised in that, in, mm-hmm, in that same home. Yep. Okay. Awesome. Um, That's yeah, a good I mean, foundation. The foundation. Yeah. Is they taught me virtue. They taught me empathy, kindness. They taught me what it meant to have a relationship with the Lord. And, um, next we have dirt from the, uh, the Methodist youth group, which the building where we used to gather is now Piggly Wiggly. So I had to sneak behind Piggly Wiggly yesterday and <laughs> luckily no one saw me. Um, love that. Let's see next. Oh, what was next? It's where that personal relationship with the Lord really started exactly. on that soil. And if I could have gone to the Bronx, I would have. You would have had some Bronx soil. But I couldn't. We take some Bronx soil. And we sprinkle add. it. <laughs> okay, so then we've got, this is St. Michael. So the school, I just feel like God has placed us in this amazing community that he He lets us receive and give from. So that that feels very significant to us. Gave your husband a job. A job. And this was kind of the practical reason the Lord allowed you to come back home. Absolutely. Which we're very happy that you came back home. Thank you. And I forgot, mingled in here somewhere is Christ the King because it was the Adoration Chapel where I sat and wrestled with the reality of the Eucharist for so many years. So then, okay, sorry, got a lot here. Okay, then we've got... Let's see, where's the soil from my apartment complex? We live in this apartment complex. There's like eight apartments and it is just this eclectic group of human beings and I love all of them. And it feels like this is an opportunity to really practice out love your neighbor. So I want to, you know. Put some of where you currently are Yep. in your new married life. And then lastly, we've got, I don't know where it is in here, but we've got St. Lawrence because that's the parish that we call home. And I genuinely feel like, yeah, the Lord is saying, I want you to give. I want you to give in this way. So it's a ton of different soil. I'm very, I'm very um, touched by lots of things. So right. it was hard for me to decide what to put in here. But this is great. This is exactly what I dreamed of when I thought right. of people bringing soil. Right. It's all coming to fruition in the shoebox. So <laughs> thank you for uh, stepping up to the challenge. Yeah, you're so welcome. Did we cover them all? <laughs> it's all right. Just flip it up. Yeah, I think we covered them all. I think so. <laughs> This is good. This is earthy. This is an yeah, organic that, podcast. We're dropping yes. mics. We're putting soil all over Love the place. It. All right. Will you sign this? We want to know yeah. whose cocktail of soil this is. Okay. I should sign it with my new name. That's right. That I haven't changed yet. That's right. Legally, are you still? Oh, yeah. Hirschfeld. There's a lot of hoops you have to jump through. I don't really want to jump through them yet. You have time. This is good. That was a very thoughtful thing of soil. Thank you so much. This is making so many of my dreams come true. All right, here's what I want you to do. I want you to hold on to the soil just in your hands, and we're going to close. Thank you for being here. Thanks for having me. Thanks for sharing your story. And um, I know people will be blessed to hear it, and we'll just close with a prayer. I ask blessing over you, your soil, and everybody listening. Awesome. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Heavenly Father, we ask your blessing upon Sarah, upon the soil in her hands, which represents so many moments in which you have revealed yourself to her and and led her along the way. We thank you for all of them and all these moments which have led her to be the woman and the married woman she is today. We just ask your blessing upon her. We ask your blessing upon her soil, her life, and all those listening. And we ask this blessing through the intercession 
of the Blessed Virgin Mary. May she teach us all how to receive your Son more fully into our hearts so that we too might be part of your renewal here on earth. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy, Holy Mary, Mary, Mother of God, God pray, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. death. Amen. Amen. Through her intercession, through the intercession of St. Joseph, may of God bless you and all those listening, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you. God bless y'all and look forward to seeing you back here on Native Soil.